Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Be sure to like the video and subscribe. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below on YouTube where you can make any donation, ask us a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. If you donate $100 or more, we will dedicate the episode to you. And today's episode is dedicated to Abraham Gunner, who wrote, I know this has been done before, but I've just played Super Mario Sunshine for the first time, and I feel this game deserves a second dedication for how great it is. Also, you and MVG have been brilliant with this podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, MVG. What's going on, Nate? Great to be here. And uh, yeah, I don't share the same you know, opinions <laughs> about Sunshine, but I'm glad you are enjoying it, Abraham. Yes, we do appreciate your support and generosity, and we really appreciate that you do enjoy the discussions we put together. And today we have a special guest joining us. We have John Littman of Digital Foundry. Welcome, John. Hello. I'm here to talk about video games. Is this the right place to be? <laughs> this is the right place to be. And it's been a while since we've had you on. We wanted to talk to you about, you know, Xbox Series S, but Microsoft took a long time to actually announce it. So we got you at the perfect time. We can talk about the Xbox Series X backwards compatibility solution, which yes. Microsoft has fully unveiled this week with the media giving their impressions. So we're going to get right into it right now. Microsoft's backwards compatibility is, in a word, amazing. It's incredible. And to me, it's way beyond what I expected from any company coming into the next gen to offer from backwards compatibility. We're seeing games increase frame rate, have beautiful resolution. And, I mean, what are your impressions of what Microsoft is doing here? Well, I mean, for me, it feels to me like they're actually taking a page from the book of PC gaming, uh, where, you know, that feeling when you get a new graphics card, you pop that in your PC and you open up all your old favorite games and now you can run them at higher resolutions, higher frame rates. It sort of solves those technical issues. We haven't really seen that in the console space much. A little bit, but not really. Uh, but here, I mean, yeah, the first impressions on that is really, really cool. I mean, we got a taste of it with Xbox One X, I think, where a lot of early Xbox One games did run better, but it wasn't, I would say, a night and day difference. It helped, but not completely. But there's a lot of games on the system, and we're still digging through them, that had performance modes or just somewhat unstable performance. And the Series X basically solves just about all of it, which is really remarkable, I think. And it really adds a lot to the system. And what were your impressions, MVG? Were you impressed with what Microsoft has shown from backwards compatibility so far? Yes, I mean, absolutely, Nate. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a big big proponent of emulation and i've been look i've been following backward compatibility on the xbox since the days of the 360 where they baked in the original xbox emulation which going back and looking at that now was very ambitious and they they pulled it off mostly but there was a lot of a lot of quirks with a lot of the games like even though if you look at that list that that has like 500 360 or sorry 500 original xbox games that were playable on the three on the 360 a lot of them you know later on through the game had issues they started to slow down that they started to have graphical issues so you could tell that that while microsoft put a lot of focus on backward compatibility even then 
they they still had you know it was still a small team right and and the budget wasn't probably as as high as as maybe it should have been and i think they were called like all the team was called like emulation ninjas at the time so it was it was one of those secret teams that was working on this stuff but now you know with with the xbox one and now with the series x i mean this is this is the first time that i've ever been excited about a launch of a console and not really had to worry about you know what i'm going to play for it because like i'm thinking about i'm not necessarily thinking about you know like halo infinite and and the medium and you know what's coming next i'm thinking about revisiting older games that i just either overlooked because i wasn't too happy with the way that they performed on the 360 or on the xbox one and now i'm going to get a chance to play those games as they were intended or in in some instances even ways that they were never intended to be played but you know, at a at sixty frames per second or or close to a lock sixty frames per second in most instances. So, very very exciting stuff. And I, look, I commend Microsoft for taking taking a gamble on this stuff because there's no guarantees that people are going to embrace backward compatibility. And they they've obviously put a lot of focus on it. And I I commend them for it. And I'm look, I'm very excited about what I've seen so far and I can't wait to see more. I mean, I think there's a lot of testing that needs to go on and I'm I'm very excited to see, you know, where this goes. And you brought up two good points there. You mentioned come launch, you might revisit a lot of these old games because you're gonna get that better performance, better resolution. And you can look at games like Monster Hunter World or Sekiro where the performance has seen a vast improvement, which we could see in the Digital Foundry video. And to some, that might be a launch day sell. Yep. You might actually pick up a Series X to experience these games in this higher performance mode. And that is a really intriguing thing going into the next gen, where you're going to play these games at this better performance. And in some cases, old games like the original Xbox, they're adding HDR and Microsoft kind of came out and they said, if the HDR doesn't look right, they're not going to allow it. It's only going to be in select cases where the game really benefits from it. And it makes every experience feel new and fresh. So Microsoft is essentially launching the Xbox Series X with hundreds of brand new games because we're all going to experience these games in a new way. And the fact that it's free, Mm -hmm. you just have to own the game and you're getting all these benefits right away is pretty remarkable. And this is... I feel like Microsoft needs to pivot into this as a marketing sell point harder than they are. Would either of you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can definitely see that. It's an interesting thing to look back at their history. You mentioned the 360 with its original Xbox emulation. And I, at the time, I kind of thought this is their response to what they thought Sony was going to do. And in fact, what they did initially, because Sony obviously was big on this for the PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. They added stuff like texture filtering and fast loading to that. Played all the PlayStation 1 games for the most part. Then you get the PS3. They stuck that hardware in there again. You got PS1 and PS2 at launch. But then it went away. And it's really never come back. And ever since then, it kind of feels like Sony's kind of jumped off the backwards compatibility train, despite it being so critical early on. And I commend Microsoft for basically sticking with it, right? Like, they they too could have just jumped off that train and you know obviously xbox one was struggling early on so it makes sense as a value add to like introduce that but it's been so long since then and they're continuing to support it and it's become so good 
so impressively so. And obviously, they know they're going to eventually have the new games, right? They've been investing in all these developers. This takes time. This is a great way to sort of pad out the early slow period after a system launches, right? So in that sense, uh, it probably should become a stronger marketing point for them. And I really think they need to better showcase just how much of a benefit these games can truly have when running on this new hardware, especially when they're talking about stuff like, I mean, you guys have heard about the tests they're doing to improve frame rate on games that were previously capped at 30 FPS, for instance. Yes. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that that could be a game changer, right? Like, I don't know how many titles that'll happen with, but right there, you know, just doubling the frame rate, that's what we used to call like sort of a, a basic remaster back in the day. <laughs> Yeah. For a while, you know, you just upgrade the. Or what about like, you know, we we saw stuff like God of War three when that showed up on PlayStation four. It's pretty much the same game, slightly higher resolution, and it's locked sixty instead of unstable frame rate. I mean, that's yep. effectively what Microsoft's offering here, as just a part of the the system package, which is you know, I I agree, it's that's really cool. There's been some games that I really wanted to play, and I I couldn't or I stopped playing halfway through because I frame rates, you know, frame rate um, issues really bug me. You know what I mean? Like I, I need a lock 30 oh, yeah, or, or a lock, <laughs> I need a lock 30 or a lock 60. And a game like final fantasy 15 was one of those games that just, just never worked properly. You know what I mean? It was, it just always had issues. And now, you know, you have the ability to play the game the way that it was intended to, but obviously, you know, due to the hardware at the time, it was not able to reach those limits, you know. So I think it's 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 great to see that, and it it really does give older games uh, a fresh coat of paint or a, another chance, if you will. That that you know maybe maybe you should go back and take a look again because they're they're playing and they're looking a lot better than they were at the time. And yeah, look, I, I'm 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 all about it. You know, I I I, I got to say I wasn't 100 percent convinced that. Microsoft's commitment to backward compatibility with the Series X was the right approach, especially when, you know, we saw a lack of, I guess I'll say, you know, first party titles, um, you know, coming out for the Series X for the first at least, you know, year and a half, maybe. So I think, I, I think, you know, they're really onto something with this and, and, and I think they've made the right moves here. You know, all of a sudden now I'm so excited about the Series X system and there's, you know, I'm not going to buy any games for it on launch, right? I mean, who's ever said that? You know, you go you go to a store and you, you pick up your console, but you're not going to buy any games with it. What you want to do is take it home, log on to your Xbox Live account, and take a look at all the games you've purchased over the last 10, 15 years and start replaying them. I mean, that's a pretty unique and compelling, you know, thing that, that Microsoft has, has given people. And I, I'm, I love it. I think it's great. Still, I mean, to be fair, there there are going to be some cool games available right at launch, right? Like it's not it's not like there's no games, well, yeah, uh, and there'll probably be good versions of them. Like right. for instance, Dirt Dirt Five, we've talked about. Yeah, that, that's from the Onrush team and you know the old Motorstorm guys. It's going to be a great game. No, I, I, uh, I guess and, I was talking about first party, but yeah, you're right. No, I, mean, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes, the first the first party isn't isn't there, but yeah. there's still going to be new games. Absolutely, yeah, it's nothing like. It's nothing like mind blowing, exclusive, or anything like that. But there's going to be good stuff there. Uh, on the first party side, though, I mean, it's very clear to me that for years they had been planning Halo Infinite to be 
the critical title. I think the whole Xbox Series X was going to be launched around Halo Infinite. Like the idea was we're relaunching Xbox with a Halo game just like the original Xbox. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that things turned out the way they did. They just couldn't get it done. Clearly. Uh, Do you think so though if, it's 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 kind of helped Microsoft's momentum now because uh, at least perception-wise it seems like you know they they obviously took took an L on on Halo Infinite but now they're really pushing the hardware stuff and it seems like they're in a in a zone in a pocket right now that it's really working for them you know marketing wise they weirdly have they they do have the underdog thing going for them and i think that might help it's actually not dissimilar to when they launched Xbox 360 in that sense yeah where sony was like the big bad in town you know the playstation 2 was record breaking it was huge they had to launch you know the successor after that and ps3 you know they kind of stumbled out of the gate i think with the ps3 that, that's obvious i mean they came back from it but uh, i think ps5 is going to do well absolutely and there's a lot of great stuff i'm excited about but there's such a huge difference between the sony right now the at least the public facing side of sony versus what they were when the ps4 launched they really managed to capture sort of you know, again, I know it's just a corporation, but there's good people working for companies that do care about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And those people had a chance to get out in front and it really made a difference. It really made it, it somehow made it seem human, whereas Microsoft was fumbling with Don Matrick in them at the front and yeah. they just came off as jokers. <laughs> uh, weirdly, it kind of seems reversed. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Marvel Spider Man thing was just. It's a, I don't even know how to get into that. I mean, beyond the name, you know, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition uh, with the included Marvel's Marvel's Spider-Man <laughs> uh, remastered, right? Uh, and not being able to buy it separately. I mean, I understand selling it. It's not just a backwards compatible thing. They're clearly doing a lot of work to it, but making it only a package of this high-end, expensive version—that's disappointing. Just the messaging around it comes off as very cold, if you will. What do you I th- think? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what do you think Sony hasn't invested anywhere near as much time and money on on backward compatibility? I know, you know, Jim Ryan has well, famously said, you know, it's not something they're interested in. But what would what do you think the reason for that would be? You know, it's first of all, I'm not sure we can say one way or another on this in the sense that uh, we haven't actually tested the PS5 backwards compatibility. Everything right now is just sort of a guess, right? Yeah. For all we know, with as quiet as they've been about everything leading up to the system, it could be amazing, right? I'm not necessarily expecting the same level of support as Xbox Series X, but I am hoping at least that it'll run sort of, you know, double up on the compute units and other, you know, take advantage, just basically do that that butterfly effect that cerny loves so much where they just double all the hardware up to a certain point you know and you get that unlocked faster performance in a lot of games maybe we'll get that maybe they have other stuff in the works we just don't know right now yeah uh but you know it's it's hard to want it's hard not to wonder when you saw those comments from famously from jim ryan and them like at, at the end of the day the people at the top are the ones that are you know helping to determine the direction of the business. And if he genuinely doesn't believe that this stuff is that important, uh, 
maybe it doesn't get the attention it, it needs. I don't know. We'll yeah. See. Yeah, the PS5 situation is something that I think a lot of gamers are really wondering about. I mean, whether you're in Sony camp, Microsoft camp, or you're just undecided, Sony's silence has definitely been of concern lately because Cerny came out earlier this year said, yeah, we have backwards compatibility. We have something called boost mode. And we're six months out now from that moment, and they haven't talked about it anymore. They had their, what I'll call a launch event, where they gave us the release day, the launch games. And they still didn't show us the user interface, backwards compatibility. They barely even told us the launch games. They still had Spider-Man as a holiday game. And it seemed like everything for them leading up to basically launch feels like a rushed marketing product well where... uh, that kind of gets into this whole i mean it's been a rough year right the right situation yes no doubt has thrown a wrench into things and some companies have handled it better than others and as i understand <laughs> uh talking around you know japanese companies maybe didn't handle it quite as well due to the office culture and just get shifting to work from home may have proven again speculation may have proven more difficult for them whereas microsoft is a very optimized, connected kind of network company. Well, you know, within... <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah, you know, so I, I think for Microsoft, moving to work from home was probably easier, I would <laughs> say, uh, is my guess. And that may actually have benefited them in the lead-up to launch. So, I mean, it's clear to me, at, at the very least, even though they're both making some good moves, some bad moves here and there, they both seem to be coming in hot. Yeah. And oh, no I doubt. assume no that doubt. they have to launch because all of their financial projections are based on these consoles launching this year, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels, like, and developers are, are counting on it as well. So they got to get them out the door, even if they're not entirely ready. So that's definitely what makes this such an interesting thing to watch. And knowing this then, I think looping back to the backwards compatibility, that really is going to prove to be possibly Microsoft's ace in the hole. Uh, because they can implement this, they, well, they—I they, I was going to say easily, but you know, they've put a lot of time into ensuring this is there. The software is there, and once they've built that that whole behind-the-scenes system, they can just start to take advantage of it right away. Which means there's a ton of great upgraded games that you'll be able to play straight on launch. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now yeah and like digital foundry you guys showed like monster hunter world running oh, yeah. at what appeared to be like a lock 60 frames a second that's pretty game changing. Just about, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. In that case, that game was always uncapped, and I think that was in the resolution mode. Even like if you did the the high frame rate mode, which basically added 10 FPS, it would probably be 100% lock. But in the 1800p mode, yeah, it's just about a locked 60 FPS, which yeah, is that's... such a huge improvement <laughs> over the experience on Xbox One X. 
Yeah, and if Sony, if the PlayStation 5 version of Autonomous World via backwards compatibility can't deliver that, Microsoft has to come out there and just pound their chest and say, we have the best way to play this game. And that could sell additional software that might, I'm not going to say it's going to move hardware. The hardware is going to be extremely limited this year. You're probably not going to have the available stock to sell excess units due to backwards compatibility. But if you can move older software for some of these publishers, maybe it could benefit Microsoft in a way where you're going to get additional games from the Xbox 360, Xbox One, you know, ecosystem, and they're going to add these games to Game Pass because they're going to see that value and say, we can get these games into more hands because your backwards compatibility solution is so well crafted. And if these lead to extra sales for us, this is awesome. We don't have to go back and remaster these games. You guys are almost doing that for us. And the one game that always comes to mind is Final Fantasy 13 when it came to the Xbox One X. Oh, it had yeah. new textures. The resolution was vastly improved where people looked at it and said, this looks better than some of the remasters we actually had this generation. And if we can see results replicate something similar to that, it feels like backwards compatibility for Series X is just going to be, it's almost something we can't even fully fathom yet because we're only seeing the beginnings of it. And the current previews were based on a limited selection of games. So we don't know how vast these improvements could really affect all of the games well, across the generation. That's actually an important point as it needs to be stressed as not every game is going to benefit the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, any game that was already at its limit, like say if it was capped at 30, even if it was capped at 60, you know, there's plenty of games that are already just about perfect and those are not really going to benefit at all on Series X, but there's still a good amount of titles that really will benefit. So it's, it's split. So John, what so far has impressed you the most as far as the games that we've currently seen? And is there any that Digital Foundry are currently testing right now that we haven't that's kind of up and coming? Um, you know, I think actually one of the most profound transformations for me was the Dead or Alive 6 native 4K mode. Like I always kind of wondered why that was even an option on Xbox One X because as soon as you enable that, it, the game runs at like 32 FPS most of the time. Yeah which is horrendous for a fighting game. I was like, okay, why is this here? Well, now we know because it actually benefits the game now. You can put it up to native 4K and it's just lock 60 FPS. So do you, so you that, think, do you think that they had that in there kind of as a future-proofing type of feature? I don't know. Like, I have to wonder, like, maybe? It's like, possible, I, right? I it's plausible, absolutely. But otherwise, then you're pretty much at, we're at 1080p to get to 60, and I think it was even dynamic res. So, yeah, just being able to flick it to 4K60 like that, I mean, it really is, it does feel, it's exactly what we got when they say brought Dead or Alive 5 from PlayStation 3 to 4, where it was just a nice resolution bump, and that was just about it, right? Yeah. And you also get faster loading, of course, so the whole thing flows smoother between matches. I mean, not that it was a problem before there, but uh, actually loading is something we haven't really discussed, and that's another key benefit. Like in our video, we showed Final Fantasy 15. You know, it took like, what, 57 seconds or something to load from the title screen on Xbox One X, and then it was 15 seconds on Series X. That's a, a massive uh, drop in loading and stuff like pop-in and, you know, texture streaming errors and yep. things like that. All of that cleans right up. You get rid of a lot of the potential in-game stutter from assets loading in. 
uh, usually a lot of that stuff, you know, it sort of hammers the CPU when it needs to load in assets and that can cause other issues as well. And obviously the CPU muscle is now there to handle it. So it doesn't even register as a blip anymore. Right. Kind of and and none, right of it, through. none of it's using the kind of underarching velocity API infrastructure as well, right? No. It's just exactly it's just raw raw power right so you know they could potentially go back to the devs and have them add some patches in you know to take advantage of the newer stuff as well right i mean i think that's that's pretty awesome that essentially i mean it's like getting a it's like getting a, a pc upgrade you know like you yep. you're, you're on an old um you know uh 9700 gtx with eight gigabytes of ram and a mechanical 7200 rpm drive you're going up to like a you know 2080 or a 3080 with an ssd and and you know double the ram i mean it's 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 you're going to see significant gains immediately without without anything else really and i think that's that's quite exciting and, and look for 499 us it's it's a pretty sweet you know price for for something that has that much power and potential yeah i agree entirely now one thing with the backwards compatibility is that Microsoft has only allowed media to use it on the Series X. We have seen some concern about the Series S handling of backwards compatibility, and I'm not sure if Microsoft has come out and clarified this, so you guys can correct me if I am off base. But the belief is is that the Series S will not have the 1X upgrades to backwards compatibility, correct? Well, what what is a 1X upgrade? What, what does that mean? Does that mean uh, so 4K? I, I, think, I, think I, I think what we know is this, is that original Xbox and Xbox 360 games will still benefit from a resolution increase up to, like, say, 1440p mm-hmm. range. So they'll do, like, a slightly less ambitious, like, uh, resolution boost. But original Xbox, sorry, Xbox One games, I was going to say original, but, you know, <laughs> Xbox One games, that would, say, have support for Xbox One X they will not support that mode on Series S as far as I know. So if you had a game that was 4K on 1X but only 1080p on the on the regular Xbox One, if you play it on a Series S, it's still going to be 1080p. Okay, but it would still get the benefits of like the increased loading time. Yeah, that, that you should get. I think you'll get increased loading time and possibly, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel like they said something about uh, they boosted the anisotropic filtering, so you get like 16x AF, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So you might get improved texture filtering, more stable frame rate, and faster loading. So it may not be as dramatic for Xbox One games, but it should still be a nice improvement. Yeah, okay. and it, I guess in theory, in the, I mean, we 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 have no way of of you know quantifying this right now because we don't have the hardware and there's there's been no testing that's been done. But in theory. You should get a fairly similar backward compatibility experience on a Series S, right? Other than just you know the resolution decreases and stuff like that. I mean, very similar G, uh, very similar CPUs. Obviously, the RAM is is something that we're gonna you know talk about here in a second. But do you is is that your take on this, John? Or do you think that you know we can't really answer that until we we get hardware on hand? I mean, I mean, we don't know for sure like how exactly it's going to compare, but I suspect by targeting the lower resolution uh, in general, that'll make up for the GPU difference, and you know you'll still get that boost to CPU for sure and the extra storage. So I suspect it'll perform rather similarly overall. Um, so I'm not too worried about that from that perspective. 
And I don't think memory will be an issue either because these games were designed for a lower memory hardware. Uh, although that would have been one reason why this the 1x enhancements couldn't have worked because that doesn't even it can't match the memory of the 1x. Yep, that's so right. That wouldn't have worked either, right? So yeah. Uh, but I it won't be an issue, I think, for the other titles, obviously. So yeah, I think you'll still get a nice boost there, hopefully. But we just don't know how much it'll be yet until we actually get our hands on it and test it. Yeah, so Series S is something like it won't be as big of a game changer as the Series X when it comes to backwards compatibility because you're not going to get all of those you know, enhancements, but you'll still get the benefits of quicker loading time. So if you do yeah, want to exactly some of those older games, it'd be like, oh, I don't have to wait two minutes for it to load anymore. Now it's 15 seconds. That's a nice benefit to go back to. But I guess, I guess those who would buy a Series S are likely not to have the 4K TV, so they don't need that resolution boost anyways. They're just kind of, I'm sick of my, like, I have the VCR Xbox One still. So a Series S for me would still be a considerable upgrade, and I don't yes. have a 4K TV <laughs> hooked up to my gaming system, so it'd be like, well, the Series S is fine for me for now, but I still think in the back of my mind, because, you know, I am a gaming enthusiast, I'd still be looking at those benefits that the Series X offers and be like, man, I want that because just everything is so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what did come to mind, and it, I guess it is a question that's impossible to answer because we simply don't know. I'm almost kind of setting my mind for expectation that the PlayStation 5's backwards compatibility might be closer to the Series S than the Series X in terms of overall output. You might be onto something, Nate. But yeah, again, we don't know yet, and we'll we'll hopefully learn more about that in the coming weeks when we when Sony you know reveals you know what they have for us but i i think you could be right because backward compatibility on the days of the 360 look i'm a retro guy so i'm gonna go i'm gonna talk about the 360 i I love the 360 but the the amount of testing they've done on individual games and the amount of work they've done you know microsoft has done to get every individual game running where where they need to be is 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 immense i don't think we can actually really come up with an accurate number of how many hours they've put into that they've gone through every single title and you know they've worked on that list of you know what what the the public have wanted you know because remember in the old days they would say what do you want to see next on backward compatibility and there was like a a priority list of, of the games that they wanted they would they would basically work off those lists and, and kind of and do that and in the end what they did was they would just focus on those individual titles get them where they needed to be then move on to the next one and that's that's the way they've always worked with with this stuff and i think comparing that to sony's approach which again i want to say we don't know what it's going to be until we get the hardware i feel like sony's is going to be a little little bit more broader and generic as far as what you're going to get i i do think in the worst case you're going to get no enhancements other than you're just running a PS4 game on PS5 and it's going to run and look exactly the same, which, hey, if it's, you know, if it's The Last of Us Part 2 or if it's Sekiro, they, they're still going to look fantastic, right? I mean, there's there's nothing wrong there. They're, they're going to take, um, they are going to load faster because you do have a faster processor in place, but they may not have those visual enhancements that maybe we're thinking that, could be something that would come with the ps5 
But, you know, in the best case, I think there will be some focus made on some titles to get them looking better, you know, on, on PS5 hardware. And I just, we just don't know what that is at the moment. And it definitely will, will be interesting to see what they have. I mean, Sony seems like they're going to focus more on their output of, of games coming over the next 12 to 18 months. You know, they've, huh. based on what we saw on, on, their, on their presentations, they have a pretty strong lineup of, of games coming, right? First party games oh, yeah. and third party games. So I, I think if I was to put money down on this, I would I would think that that's what they're going to continue to focus on. They will give us some level of, you know, updates as far as backward compatibility, but I certainly don't expect it to be at the level that we've seen with the, uh, with the Series X so far. Now, I guess we'll end this topic with this question. Do you think Microsoft's backwards compatibility solution could actually limit the amount of remasters we see this generation? You know, as someone that does work at Night Dive and we are in the business of remastering games, um, I, I I thought about that actually before we started talking about this. I I, I think this will complement it. You know, I don't think it's, it's going to, you know, stop any potential remaster um, you know being being signed by a company and, and being developed but I definitely think this brings another pillar or another you know uh, method to the madness of, of remastering games because yeah I mean in the best case scenario you don't need to remaster you know GTA 4 or you don't need to remaster you know some of these games anymore because they're just going to look so much better but there are some games that that no matter what you you try to do from a backward compatibility standpoint they need to be retextured you know they need they need assets to be brought up to modern modern times they need they need you know gyro controls or they need um just modern enhancements and you know backward compatibility will give you a lot of that stuff but it won't give you all of it and i think you know when you when you have that human aspect into working on on something you know that's that's kind of unmatched so i i would say you know th- there's there's a place for both you know and i think that's going to continue yeah i'm pretty much right there with you and i actually think this sort of highlights i think remasters re-releases of playstation 4 era games will be less but i don't i also don't think it's as necessary yeah uh, the stuff that Night Dive does is necessary because a lot of these games have long since disappeared from the retail market outside of, you know, collection and retro trading and whatnot. Uh, it's hard for people to get their hands on them, and they often suffered from quirks of the time, of the platforms, limitations of the hardware. So by bringing that over to a new machine, you can sort of address all of those flaws and sort of deliver the ultimate version of something that's somewhat inaccessible to people. Whereas I don't really feel like you need to do that for something like, say, God of War, uh, the recent PS4 game, or even like Horizon or something. You know, they, they don't need to be remastered. Right. They're fine. Right. <laughs> they look good. They look great already. Uh, it's so it's one of those things where I think times have changed so much and we're seeing less of a massive shift in visuals between generations that uh, just you know, the typical backwards compatible enhancements can be enough for a lot of these games. Uh, And I'd like to see more studios focus on, if they want to do remasters, focus on classic games that maybe are somewhat inaccessible and really could benefit from being properly remastered at their absolute best. So, which is what Night Dive does. Mm -hmm. So, That is very true. 
Now we'll shift into the second topic for today's video. And it's a discussion point that's been going around a lot. And it is, will the Xbox Series S hold back the Xbox Series X? We had developers go to Twitter right after Microsoft announced the Series S. And the reception was very mixed. You had technical producer from Remedy say, you know, I'm afraid of the Series S. You had other programmers come out and say, it's not that big of a deal if long as, you know, if we know this is here and we can target it in our mind, it's simple enough to downscale. And you had others come back with a retort saying, this is aggressively lowering resolution. This is going to compromise our vision. And it created a narrative where everyone was saying, oh no, Microsoft has basically hurt themselves. They're not gonna allow developers to take advantage of the Series X fully because of the Series S. And we still don't have a concrete answer whether or not the Series S will hold back Series X. So I felt like it was a good topic to get into today. And we'll start with John. Do you think the Series S is a potential roadblock for the Series X? Um, well, I wouldn't just say a potential roadblock for just Series X. I'd say a potential roadblock for anything that's also like a third-party release. Uh, so this could affect PS5 as well. But at the same time, so I think when you look at this, you have to consider the different factors. There's obviously GPU, CPU, memory, all these different elements. Uh, the Series S can match it in terms of it has the same sort of high-speed SSD, so storage is fine. Uh, you have a very powerful CPU that's very comparable to what's in Series X, uh, so that's good. The GPU itself is fully featured, but obviously less capable, but at the same time, it's designed to target resolution. Uh, that's the stuff that scales easily, easiest, though. That's the... Let me do that again. <laughs> that's the stuff that scales most easily. Uh, you can lower graphic settings, you know, reduce the GPU-heavy effects, all of that stuff without massively compromising the vision, I think. So getting the CPU and storage right was key. But where I'm worried, and I've heard a lot of trepidation, is uh, it's it's the memory situation. And again, uh, I think when we were talking before, you're right, MVG, when you say, well, developers always want more memory. And that's absolutely right. Uh, so it's really hard to see how this is going to actually shake out in the end and hopefully it doesn't become enough of a bottleneck and they can just sort of scale assets down and make some changes but things like you know they're talking about the series s also supports ray tracing features on this gpu right uh ray tracing it's it's also memory hungry it's not just gpu heavy so it could be an issue there so maybe that means ray tracing effects are gone uh, which i guess is a fair compromise for a, a lower tier system as well so it's really hard to say. I mean, I feel like potential game design ideas would hinge most on what they can do with the CPU side of things and storage side of things, right? Like making larger, more physically interactive worlds with a lot of complex, uh, you know, systems in place. Uh, as long as you have that, that powerful CPU there and fast storage, hopefully that can offset a lot of the other limitations of the, of the hardware and we'll still have a very comparable experience just at a lower fidelity uh, since, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm hoping, thinking we're at. But again, <laughs> it's all just speculation. We don't know yet. Yeah, and like when I saw the developers come out and speak out against Series S, 
I actually looked at the developers that they represented because I want to make sure they weren't from companies like Epic who currently have exclusive marketing deals with Sony for the PlayStation 5. And it's like, well, of course you guys are going to come out and maybe say something negative about Microsoft because right now you're kind of under a condition where you can only praise Sony. And the developers were quite diverse. I mean, they were primarily Western-based, but they didn't favor one platform over the other. And it was interesting to see some say, this isn't that big of a deal, and others say, oh my God, this is doom. And it was like, wow, there's a lot of concern. And then there's a lot of people are simply saying it's not that big of a deal. And before Microsoft actually came out to confirm Series S, and it was just a speculation and the rumors going around, my original expectation was that it was going to be something similar to what we see with the Switch. You have docked and undocked mode. And it's, I believe undocked mode is what is simply a difference of CPU speed. Um, no, also, I mean, memory, technically... The, memory, yeah, memory, GPU. It's, it's kind of all three, actually. Okay. Well, I guess memory bandwidth is always a limit. It's just that yep. on docked mode, they like to increase resolution, and that's where the memory bandwidth can become an issue. So you often end up with less performance uh, in docked mode. Right. So would that still be an accurate comparison here, or is it vastly different? Because we are talking about like less RAM and you know other features, but the CPU, SSD, GPU still the same so would you say this is kind of an undocked docked mode for the xbox or are they completely different matters i kind of see it you know it's like lower tier and and you know it's like it's like performance mode and and power mode you know what i'm saying like it's it's that type of that that type of paradigm so yeah nate i mean i think you know you, you have some interesting points when you compare it to the switch i um I think that you know I, I agree with John on this one. It's it's very very hard to say how this is going to play out because you know eight gigabytes of RAM on a system that's targeting 1080p maybe 1440p on paper doesn't sound like a big deal to me. You know, like I, I've had eight well not anymore. I've I've since upgraded twice, but I used to have an eight, eight gig PC and play games at 1080p all day long. There was nothing wrong with that, but again. Those types of comparisons may not be fair and accurate because it's now 2020 and you know 2021 when the system really starts to take take form. We don't know what style of games we're going to get and and how they're going to run on the Series S. And I think we just have to wait and see how this one's going to play out. I I do think that you know it's going to be fine, <laughs> but but yeah, I as a developer. You know, we always want more memory, and and that's something that you know developers always w- want more RAM at the end of the day. And putting <laughs> putting you you know pigeonholing you into that smaller space, you know, does make a few developers a little nervous about how this is going to go. But if I was to speculate right now, again without knowing anything about the Series S, I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay, but you know that that may come back to, to haunt me, you know, in twelve months once we see um, some games coming out. So it's funny you, you mentioned, of course, developers want more RAM, but uh, <laughs> consumers want more storage. Absolutely, and this yeah. this is where I'm I'm actually kind of wondering about the value proposition a little bit because they're basically slicing the storage in half on Series S to get the price down, right? But you can buy expanded memory. Uh, but that seems to be selling for over 200 bucks, which is in line with market value for those PCIe Gen 4 yeah. uh, M2 SSDs, right? But you do that, right? You have a Series S, you add that card in, 
you're now over the price of the Xbox Series X and you've only got half a gig of additional storage over the Series X. So it starts to look like, you know, a, it, it creates this weird situation. Uh, yeah. And this, this, is, this is even worse because the Series S is all digital. Right. So That is a good point. You, I, I never really considered that. Yeah, I mean, you need more storage for your Series S then you're spending money on that $200, you know, internal drive, unless you go the, you know, external SSD route, which which is a viable solution, but obviously you're not going to get the benefits of of the uh, the internal SSD. Well, I mean, if you do that, you're just shuffling stuff back and forth. Exactly, right? you yeah. You can't play games from a USB drive, but you right. can shuffle them around, which, again, I think that's what a lot of people are going to end up doing, uh, but it is a little bit frustrating perhaps so we're just gonna have to see it because we haven't actually tested that function yet so i'm not sure how fast that's going to be moving data back and forth if it's fast enough maybe it's not a big deal uh but yeah i think you know you have to you have to imagine that when you get this machine it's a it's 500 gigabytes i believe Mm -hmm. on series s but you're not going to have the full 500 available. Oh, you get probably you get like 375, maybe 400, right? I mean, that's that's my guess. Yeah. I, again, I don't know, but I suspect it's going to be something like that. So you you have that, and you see the size of some of these games uh, already. Uh, that's maybe like two or three big AAA games before that, you're out of space. That is true, but in theory, and again, we're all speculating. We don't know. In theory, <laughs> a Series S game should be not significantly smaller, but a certain percentage smaller than a Series X game, based on the fact that with this, um, you know, smart delivery stuff we keep hearing about, we're only going to be pulling in the 1080p or the 1440p appropriate textures, right? Well, you say that, but I mean, you look at stuff like uh, a lot of the first-party Microsoft titles as well that are already way over 100 gigs, even on regular Xbox One. Like Flight Simulator? Uh, well, yeah, but what about, you know, the Gears games? Yeah. Uh, you know, Quantum Break was insane. True. Uh, because of that, yep. you know, there's there's a bunch of examples of games last-gen that were targeting the older hardware even that were just huge. It took up space way over 100 gigs even. Uh, I think, was it... Red Dead Redemption 2 maybe took up a little bit less space on the regular systems. I can't remember. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was still pushing 100 gigs. I don't think we're going to see a dramatic decrease in size on the Series S. Maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be large enough to make up that difference. So, and if you have just one game like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, uh, like what are you going to do about that? Yeah, That game takes up a, a ton of space. So is this like similar to the old days of the Xbox 360 arcade where you had that little uh, four oh megabyte God. memory card and you couldn't Probably really Probably not that bad. <laughs> I guess the big question is if the, what I'd like to see, and maybe they mentioned this, I, I, can't, I can't even remember, but like a smart shuttling system where like uh, you have your external platter drive or even an SSD yeah. plugged in via USB, tons of stuff on there. And you just choose to play the game, and then the system very as quickly as it can anyway sort of moves that to the SSD while shuttling something back to the USB drive. And if they can do it in a really seamless way where there's just a little bit of waiting to get it from one drive to the other, maybe that sort of saves the day. Yeah. We have to see. Do you think Microsoft would have been better positioned had they just made a Series X all digital instead of going to Series S? Because as you've brought up, it's you if you have to buy this memory expansion 
the price difference is already basically negated. So if you could have just made a Series X all digital, similar to the PlayStation 5 all digital, come in at $399, you think that would have been a better direction for them? One, developers maybe would be happier because they just have that one profile. See, that's the thing, though, is I'm not sure the way Sony's doing it, I'm very curious to see what what it costs them on that end because it's <laughs> an optical drive does not cost $100, right? Yeah. They're not saving <laughs> that much with that optical drive. They're obviously banking on people buying the digital version having to be locked to their store. Uh, they can't rely on sales from stores or clearance or used games. They have to buy from the store, so they're basically saying we're willing to take the cut on this to get there microsoft could have done the same thing but i think they i think you know targeting this nobody knew where the prices were going to come in and i think they just wanted to ensure that they had something that was you know multi hundred dollars cheaper than their more expensive machine and i think just a hundred less maybe isn't i think they were probably afraid that the series x being as expensive as it is would say arrive at 499 or 599 and then if they did an all digital version, it's a hundred less. But then what if Sony did the PS4 thing again and came in a hundred dollars less anyway? Uh, then they'd have the most expensive machine again. And it just, you know, they, I think they, they were really scared of that and wanted to make sure that they had both. They at least had like the value proposition, the lowest cost machine on the market. And <laughs> I think that's why it exists. Yeah. They can do all their marketing. They can say starting at two ninety nine. And that's going to be the thing that really resonates with customers yeah, exactly. psychological standpoint. Like, well, oh, I can get a new Xbox for two ninety nine. Like, yeah, you're probably not going to be picking that one up because maybe Microsoft might intentionally limit stock of it. They could. I'm not saying they will. And then if you don't see it on the shelf and you see a Series X, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, that's the same thing. Yeah, it's two hundred dollars more. I'm going to pick that up instead. But from our whole conversation today, I have a Series S on pre order, and I have to say, I'm a little concerned now. Don't be concerned. Don't be concerned. Just just wait. <laughs> wait for Digital Foundry's uh, video on the Series S and then then make a informed decision. I think that's that's the way you should do it. Yeah. I mean, would you say, John, that it's fair? If you don't have a 4K TV and you're still gaming on 1080p, that the Series S will probably be more than sufficient for your next-gen gaming needs? Um. So that's kind of a yes and no for me. And that only comes from the perspective that, yes, it probably will suffice. But for me personally, like, I just can't get behind an all-digital machine. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. You're a physical for guy me. like it's, me. It's a non-starter. Like, yeah. I, you know, if you take away the discs, uh, you're also taking away some of those, you know, I do like to collect, but a lot of people also like to, you know, buy games on sale. And stores are very well known for dropping prices in a way that you can walk in and be like, oh, dude, this game's like 10 bucks now. Uh, and you just walk out with it and you got it. And yes, there's some good sales that happen on here. And yes, they have Game Pass and all that, uh, which is fine, but it's not for me. So you kind of have to make that decision. If, if you're completely okay with just saying, I don't care about media, like physical media at all, uh, then sure, it'll probably be fine. What about... Why? Well, why didn't they, you know, slap an extra ten dollars on the bill of materials and put a uh, a Blu-ray drive in there? Obviously, you know, there's a licensing cost, you know, for Blu-ray and all that stuff as well. But why do you think they didn't do that and just kept? I the sure wish they did. I sure wish they did. That would have been amazing. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's a weird one. I guess they just wanted to make a really small box. Yeah. I mean, for me, my dream 
and this is impossible due to cost, I get it, but my dream would have been, what if the game media were SSDs, like cartridges, you know, think like the Switch, but bigger, but like actual, like, you know, high-speed SSD drives. Like those I mean, the, like those Seagate drives, that cartridge slot is actually a game? That's on what one I'm of saying. Those? Yes, yes, exactly. That's a, that's but, a killer you know, idea. That <laughs> I would love be, it. like, actually buying games in that format would be amazing. But, yeah, the cost. <laughs> the cost. And I, I, I'm fairly sure we'd end up in a situation even worse. One of the, my big pet peeves with the Switch is that due to the cost of the media, a lot of developers are like, eh, I don't really, we got to get this game down uh, to fit on a four gigabyte card to save money, which then means, oh, well, we're just going to have to do a mandatory download. Yeah. Or we're going to have to like super compress this in a way that actually compromises performance. And that's kind of the fear. Maybe I guess they could set like a, a minimum card, but I don't know. I, I guess that's just that might even be difficult for companies like Limited Run and such, where mm-hmm. it's like, well, they want to do these games on PS5, but now they only ship on these SSD cards. <laughs> the cost of that. So that would have been a cool dream. I would have loved to have seen it, but I understand why it's not possible right now. So Man. for the time being, I just, you know, we got optical discs. I wish all the consoles had them. I don't like that the PS5 has an all digital version. I think it's just a, a useless piece but, of like, like it's, it shouldn't exist. I hate it. In I, theory, I don't, though, I don't John, like it. In, in theory, you know, a couple of years from now, right? Why, why wouldn't that work? Like, why couldn't you uh, buy, you know, um, the uh, Cyberpunk 2078 on a cartridge, you know, right? And, and plug it into your, your Series X or Series S and play it. It's, it's a hundred gigabytes on the cartridge, and you know you, away you go. It's 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 already installed and ready. Go for it. You know, I think if consoles continue to exist for a next generation, like where physical media is still a thing, hopefully, uh, maybe the prices will be at a point where this is actually feasible. I just it's, think you know for the time idea. being, it it's not going to work, and you know that slot currently that's on Xbox for the for the additional SSD. Like, I mean, it's not really designed for this purpose, so it wouldn't work either, I think. Uh, so the, it's it's definitely a done thing for this gen. It's not happening, but I would have liked to have seen it. <laughs> Going back to the Super NES and N64 cart days. I love it. And, and more than you know, I mean, because the, the SSDs here are so fast that, you know, I've been yep. hearing about stuff like being able to, maybe it's not quite there, but it's almost like using like memory mapped addressing, you know, where you can just like, address the storage directly in a way that hasn't been possible for so long which is like almost like an extension of memory i mean feasibly that that could have been done uh for these games like this i think but yeah we're not there i mean game costs keep going up so i mean we all remember we're all old enough to remember when n64 games could cost like 90 dollars, and it's because like we're using a 32 megabyte game card and it's expensive, so yep. you know we have to put it on the customer and be like, oh, "I got to get Killer Instinct Gold for uh, seventy-five dollars," and you know, as a customer, you were happy to pay it, and that's why the game cost went up because it costs more to use a cartridge, yeah, and yeah. now game costs just go up because the publisher says so. Well, no, I mean we know that budgets have been <laughs> yeah. going up. Games today are just so darn uh, expensive to make. Yep. Uh, there's so much that needs to be done for them. I mean, I, I've been saying that we're kind of at this point where it's no longer about hardware power. It's more about manpower. Like, just the sheer yeah. volume of assets that need to be generated for these modern games. It's just absurd. 
you need so many people uh, to do it and that gets expensive uh so that that's that's what i'm more concerned about than actual like hardware petering out it's more just like how are developers going to keep upping the ante so to speak me too how are you going to how are you going to push these visuals to the next level yeah it can't go on forever it's, I, it's not the hardware that's the issue anymore I, I i totally agree john and you know one of the things that just is very very bemusing to me is you know you see presentations like unreal engine 5 how they talk about how how much time it's going to save but we we all know that games are just getting larger and larger and larger in scope and and size and, and everything there's just no way, you know, like, you know, you just look at what, what, what's come out this year and what's been delayed this year. I mean, that's that's what we're going to be looking yeah. at, you know, uh, over the next few years. I'm not saying that everything's going to get delayed, but, you know, it's it's it seems like things can't sustain themselves the way things no. are going. And I know this is a different conversation, but it's uh, it's definitely an interesting point you bring up. Yeah, I mean, you're you know, you mentioned Unreal there, and yeah, the tools are better. If you try to do this much work with tools from 20 years ago, yep, nobody could nobody could do it. The tools are hugely improved and much more efficient, but just the workload is increased. There's just more to do. Uh, so yep. yeah, it, it is an interesting thing, and it's something I'm curious to watch for the next generation to see how this plays out. So it's definitely an interesting thing to watch going into this new generation because we've seen development teams inflate their sizes to like 1500 people and you could look at some of the development team sizes of games on like the n64 and it was like four dozen people and that's a staggering increase of manpower and it does feel like as these games get more com- you know complex as developers and publishers strive to be the next big thing your venture that bubble has to pop and we simply don't know what the repercussions are going to be from when that bubble does burst. It could be devastating for the industry. The industry may have to realign itself. It's going to have to adjust to what's happening. And I mean, I don't want to see, you know, what happened during the Atari days where the industry collapses. Well, again, you know, people bring up that collapse all the time, but that only yeah. happened in North America, right? I mean, yes. it was like less than a year and it was only in America. So I, I'm worried about something more significant happening with this stuff, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we see the inflating budgets. We see exactly. crunch becoming more prominent. Something has to happen. It's a matter of. It's not a matter of if it happens. It's a matter of when it happens, and it is going to happen. Maybe this generation. Maybe next. We don't know yet, but it's definitely as exciting as it is to be a gamer. It's also very concerning for those in the industry of the future seems promising, but you can tell there's something just beyond the horizon that's looming and it's a yeah. dark cloud. It's just when is the storm gonna come? I'm also worried about like the the habits of, of people playing games at large, you know, the popularity of stuff like Fortnite, Minecraft, <laughs> where you have a huge group of people that basically play one game. You can't get them to to not play that game that's the only game they want to play those people make huge money uh, but you have so many other games being made and like the audience is shrinking for that and everybody wants not everybody but there's a subset of developers say well i want to get in on that fortnite money they can't do it usually Uh, it's it's almost a fool's errand to try 
it's really difficult to break into those established markets. There's such luck involved, I feel, in getting there. I mean, especially you, Fortnite is such an interesting case because it was in development forever as a completely different game. And then that comes out and it's like, eh, whatever, it's fine. And then they try their hand at uh, the Battle Royale thing that became popular with uh, a PUBG. And, well, <laughs> it worked out for them really well. If I remember right, Cliffy B was the one yeah. to originally present Fortnite. At A3. Yeah. Like so, years yeah. ago. And the game is nothing like what was originally <laughs> presented because it came out, it basically bombed. They put in the Battle Royale, as John said, and the game exploded. Because if you have a physical copy of Fortnite, it's worth a lot of money now. That's and- true. It's so weird of like, I mean, good on Epic. They completely took a game that they had spent a lot of time developing. It hit struggles. They rebranded it and they found success. But there was a large percentage of luck involved there. And it reminds me of the mobile market a little bit where you had Angry Birds, huge success. Everyone tried to chase it. Nobody replicated it. And out the mobile market, everyone's still chasing that golden goose. Mm-hmm. Nintendo's tried it, and yeah. Nintendo, Nintendo simply doesn't put their heart into their mobile efforts, and you yeah. can tell. Actually, that's an interesting point. That's what's in- fun about this next generation. I'm curious to see what it means. Is when PS4 and Xbox One were released, everybody was still on that. Oh, consoles are dead. Mobile games are the future. Uh, <laughs> so I felt like there was there was a lot of investment that maybe wasn't happening prior to their launch, and then they hit and were a huge success, especially PlayStation, and you could kind of feel like, oh, okay, maybe consoles are still in and the money started to come, but it took time to actually get the games developed because the, that investment wasn't there necessarily in the same way that it would become over time. Whereas this time, you know, console gaming is not considered to be nearly extinct. It seems to be mostly healthy, despite some of those issues we mentioned. Yep. Uh, so I'd imagine that a lot of these publishers, they've been investing money and in getting ready for the next gen. Yeah, I mean, so hope we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, the one thing that the publishers do still heavily lean on in the console industry are microtransactions. Those aren't going away. We just saw Sony announce the Demon Souls Deluxe Digital Edition, where you get a soundtrack, all these in-game weapons, outfits, potions, and it's like ninety pounds, which is just a ridiculous price tag for what it's giving you. Absolutely, and- exactly. We're going to see a lot more of that because that does seem to be their way of, hey, you want this game day one? You're going to pay this premium, and there's millions of people who are going to pay the premium knowing full well if you wait four to five months, you're going to get that game for potentially half price. But it's all about that day one hype and excitement, and that's why you're willing to drop $70, $80, $90 on the game because it's a fear of missing out. You want to be part of the conversation right away. I'm old and now I'm kind of like, unless the game is going to be really good and it's a game I really have to play, I'm okay with waiting a few months to play it. But there's always those few cases where I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta get that game day one. I'm old and I still pre-ordered it day one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to miss out on Demon Souls. No, me either. That's, that's the one I'm most hyped for. I wish I was that hyped for. I loved it on the PlayStation 3, but Ratchet and Clank is still the game for PlayStation 5 that will sell me on the system. The second that gets announced or gets a release date, I'm buying a PlayStation 5 because Ratchet and Clank just looks phenomenal to me. But they have to date it. Do it, Sony. Give us some new information. I know you just gave us the launch date a few weeks ago. 
but you have a lot more to share with us. Do it. Give me something to be excited about beyond launch day. Please. Yes. <laughs> now we'll go into some of the Streamlab questions. We had a $5 donation from Infernal Tim, who wrote, With the next generation of systems around the corner, I've noticed a stark contrast between Microsoft and Sony. We've had full teardowns of the Xbox systems, but in April, Mark Cerny said a PlayStation 5 teardown was coming soon, yet nothing. Is this concerning? Oh, man. I, I made a video about this yesterday, and I got I got attacked pretty good by uh, some fanatical Sony fans about this. You know, the, the, the response was, just be patient. It's coming. And look, that could well be the case, but I, I think um, I think we need to see something. You know, I, I think it's it's time. You know, we're, we're, we're way past time, and I am a little not concerned. I don't want to say concerned because I think Sony has a handle on it, but I am questioning why we haven't seen anything yet, and I, I am curious to see when we will. Yeah, the PlayStation 5 to me is having shades of Wii U. It seems like they're just mm. keeping certain aspects behind a curtain and maybe it's simply they're not done yet maybe sony is just waiting for the right time to do it but i mean maybe the wii u is an extreme example but john you're very quiet uh, over there do you, you have anything to add i would say <laughs> the wii u is an extreme example <laughs> i don't expect that to happen by any means but yeah um we'll see i like i said earlier i think we just got to keep in mind the insanity of this year yeah uh, the situations this year have been unprecedented and impact companies differently. It's hard to say how much of an impact that has had, uh, but I imagine it can be significant in some cases. So it's probably been a humongous effort to even get these machines to the market. I mean, it always is, but I think this year it's been extra difficult for a lot of people. So just the fact that they're both almost here, they've pretty much just about made it to the finish line um you know i'm I'm willing to forgive them on showing a little less than i might have liked for that reason basically yeah, i could agree with that and then we had a dollar donation from rona who says since backwards compatibility is off the table what's the best way to get a to get a better picture out of the playstation 2 without spending too much whether it be hdmi solutions or composite cables Depending on what you want to connect to, if you want to go to a CRT, then I would just go the RGB SCART option. But if you want to connect it to a modern HDTV, I would probably suggest a component cable going into something like a RetroTINK or a open source scan converter. You would get a pretty, pretty crisp looking uh, image out of something like that. But I have also heard that there is some internal HDMI mods that are currently being developed for the PS2. So I, I think that would be your best option if you are if you want to stick around and see what, what they have to offer. Yeah, so on that front, um, if you really want if you want to use original PS2 hardware on an HDTV, uh, I, I generally prefer the OSSC or something like the RetroTINK for most consoles, but because the PS2 is so heavy on interlaced content, I still think the FrameMeister is actually the superior product in this specific use case because its de-interlacing capabilities I think are much more attractive than the default Bob de-interlace that you get Mm -hmm. on all the other solutions, right? So it produces a much, an image that looks borderline like 480p and you can set it out to 1080p and get a nice crisp scale. Uh, But hopefully there'll be better solutions coming along as well. 
I mean, technically, there's also stuff like uh, an early PlayStation 3. It's not the worst option. You get HDMI out on that. But again, probably not as easy to come across, and they're not exactly reliable. <laughs> or, um, yeah, I mean, phew, that's tough. I mean, PS2 is one of those systems that I feel just doesn't work well on a flat panel. Yeah, it's tricky. More isn't than it? any other, I think it's it's one you have to play on a CRT. Yeah, it's you tricky. Play it on a CRT, it looks amazing, like super shockingly sharp, especially on like a PVM or a BVM or something of that caliber really impressive uh you i'll put that to a flat panel though and it's it gets kind of murky and really loses something it's not the same there's so many resolution changes and so many different configurations of games and they run in different ways it's tricky but i'm kind of waiting for you know the same thing they did with the ps1 digital that citrus 3000 did with the ps2 i I think i think that'll be the you know the, the be all end all if you want a flat panel um you know, dan, dan and christoph's work that's that's key those guys amazing team i think they're some of the best in the business right now in terms of just producing these incredible aftermarket mods they're not easy to install uh you, you know those flex cables take some pretty nice skill there with a soldering iron but you can find plenty of installers to do it and yeah i think it's worth what keeping an eye on what they do for ps2 because i know they were working on ps2 digital at some point um yep. and i think it got hung up because of you know they're basically trying to work on the scaling rather than just doing a bob the interlace i think they wanted to do something more robust for it uh, but it's not ready yet and i don't know when it will be but still that'll probably be the best when it hits absolutely i'm waiting for it then we had a three dollar donation from bear treks who says do either of you fabulous gentlemen think that nintendo has another dry year in store for us in 2021 I know none of us would like to see this, but could Breath of the Wild 2 be Animal Crossing that carries Nintendo through another slow year? No, 2021 is going to be a banner year for Nintendo, and I hope to have a video dedicated to that discussion in the coming week or so. So I wouldn't be concerned about Nintendo in 2021, even if we just entertain the rumors of Nintendo having a Switch revision, games like Breath of the Wild 2, new Pokemon Snap, no more heroes three it's already shaping up to be a better year potentially than what 2020 saw and we have to remember 2020 we had covid it delayed a lot of software into 2021 so pending what was planned for 2021 and how significant the delays may have impacted that software we could see a lot more software in 2021 but right now i'm confident nintendo has a very strong year coming up same absolutely agree we then had the $100 donation from Abraham Gunner. Thank you for that. We answered, or we read your question at the start of the show. We then have a $1 donation from Jack E.G., who wrote, Favorite game soundtracks. Keep up the great work. Silent Hill 2 and Chrono Trigger. Good choices. Oh, my gosh. That's that's an insane question. There's too many. <laughs> um I always I always go to uh, one of my favorite game soundtracks, you know, just off the top of my head. It's a, it's a classic. It's uh, Hiroki Kikuta's uh, Sokaigi. It's just uh, it's an amazing production, one of the best sounding games on the PlayStation. Just super ambitious production, amazing tunes, you know. There's so many more that I love as well, though. I mean, you know, I, it's just, I could go on and on for so long about game music, but... <laughs> 
it's when when you get that question out of the blue it's like uh yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, if i had a limit to the just this generation it'd be one of the two ori games octopath traveler but i mean Mania I be... for me or or uh that's a good you one. know yeah sonic mania is great monster boy is yeah. great those soundtracks are killer yeah ori is incredible but like yeah if i have to do all time i mean i could go all the way back to things like a link to the past ocarina of time mm-hmm. chrono trigger final fantasy 6 final fantasy 7 there's a lot of great music in gaming it's hard to just to choose a single sound yeah i think i think for this gen i would say ori and ori to a way up there as 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 my favorites yeah. i can't wait to hear stuff coker does with halo ah uh, dude i'm i'm so excited about that I mean, that totally. might be the most exciting part of Halo Infinite to me right now. It's Gareth Coker being composer. I think even yes, visuals are be awesome. Like even if the gameplay and visuals don't impress, I know the soundtrack will. Exactly. <laughs> then we had a twenty-five dollar donation from Zadia Quest, who wrote, "Thanks for striving to put out informed and thoughtful content for us. MVG and you do a great job at that. Thank you. Thank you." Then we had a $5 donation from Symphonic Balance, who wrote, I have been having difficulty letting go of physical games. Do you think Microsoft has positioned themselves to attract players like me who will be late adapters of digital games with their focus on Game Pass and backwards compatibility compared to Sony? That's another topic of discussion that we we could probably spend another hour on um i would say hold on to your physical media right now like i i i think game pass is excellent and i love what microsoft's doing there yeah but everything has like you know a digital service will eventually have an end by date and that's where things get really interesting for me and that's the part that makes me not want to get rid of any of my physical games and maybe it's just a fear response to to the fact that you know one day game pass and steam and and these other services may not be around anymore and that may be a little naive because they may be around for another 150 years i don't know but it just it's just one of those things where it's like you got a physical game as long as it doesn't have some type of you know server authenticated drm in place you can play that game anytime you want and i think nothing beats that freedom for me darn straight that's a good point but you're also Australian, like True. Olivia, you and John, and you both love to get physical. So that <laughs> reference <laughs> over a lot of heads. That was a that was a Zooge joke, Nate. Oh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> that's like a bad joke to the extreme. <laughs> we then had a five dollar donation from Skittles, who writes, "Hey, Nate and MVG, hope all is well. Just wanted to say how excited I am for Age of Calamity." I love how we're getting a whole game where the objective is to tuck her Link out so Princess Zelda can tuck him in for a nice 100-year nap. <laughs> that is a very astute summary of Age of Calamity. And I'm not sure if that makes me more excited for the game or something. <laughs> it's it's an interesting, interesting take. <laughs> then we had a dollar donation from I Feel Nothing. That's unfortunate. Who writes... Great discussions, radio voices. MVG talked uncapped frame rate was optimization for the Nintendo Switch and not future-proofing for new hardware. I saw Digital Foundry talking about how unlocked frame rate was very beneficial 
Xbox Series X backwards compatibility. Can you clarify, <laughs> would it be different for new Nintendo Switch? Thank you. So I guess uh, the question is if, if there's a new Switch that has a more performance CPU and GPU and, and RAM, would an uncapped frame rate take advantage of it? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think I think you know we've we've already kind of walked through that um, in in the last episode and and with this discussion, anything that it's it's again it's it's that concept of you buy a faster CPU and RAM and graphics card for your PC, you're going to immediately get those benefits. So yeah, I would say you will you will see those benefits absolutely. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And but I will say, I always say. Unlocked frame rates should be an option, but yes, not forced. Absolutely, because they can be awful uh, if that's the only way to play. Uh, so always true. have always have your cap if you're not hitting your the target 60 FPS or whatever. Uh, but having an unlocked high performance mode is very beneficial going forward. Then we had a five dollar donation from Neon Neutral, who writes: Do you think Sony will have a harder time with sales this generation? The PlayStation Four was hugely successful because it was up against the Xbox One and Wii U. It's a much different market now, and they've been getting a bit arrogant with their practices. Love you guys. That is a very loaded question. I'm going to let you take that one, Nate. <laughs> no, I think the PlayStation 5 is going to be a huge success. We could see some sales slow in the first half of 2021, but that would mostly be economic due to COVID and the pandemic. Sony does feel like they're a little bit arrogant right now. They they're the market leader. They're not really fearful of Nintendo. They really had no reason to be fearful of Microsoft. And I don't think overall the sales of the PlayStation 5 are going to be hurt by Sony's current cockiness. PlayStation 5 was going to go on. It's going to sell incredibly well. It will probably be the sales leader of the upcoming generation. But I do think Microsoft is going to be more competitive. And I think Sony's going to have to be on their toes a bit more this upcoming generation than they were this one because as they pointed out they were up against the xbox one and the wii u and the wii u was a non-factor when it comes to competition xbox one remained competitive with the playstation 4 in north america it just it was the rest of the world it was europe japan the middle east and up and coming new markets that completely annihilated microsoft so worldwide playstation 5 will probably be the market leader but I think the competition will be closer in North America and potentially Europe. But those other regions, Sony's still going to carry. I think it's going to be a slow start for the first couple of months. And then when Ratchet comes out, it'll be it'll be fine. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No I one's going to remember anything when Ratchet gonna, and Clank comes out. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and uh, oh, there's plenty of other stuff coming as well. I, I don't foresee any issues for them. Yeah, Sony. Sony are masters at marketing, and right now they're really live, they're thriving on brand power. They haven't communicated everything they have, you know, even with the PlayStation Five to us, as we've touched on in this discussion. And the consumers don't really seem to all that bothered, so they'll be fine. But I could see as like the enthusiasts definitely can look at Sony and say, "You guys are being a little bit." arrogant you seem a little too full of yourselves right now we want more information but the casual mass audience they don't care about those finer details that we're all hungry for and that was the final Streamlabs question if you'd like to support the channel we have the Streamlabs link in the description on youtube 
you can make any donation, ask us a question or a comment. We'll read it at the end. Donate $100 or more. We dedicate the episode to you. I'd like to thank John for joining us today. But of course, anytime. It's always great having you here. And I'd like to thank MVG for joining as well. Thanks for having me on, Nate. And yeah, it's been great to chat with John. It's, uh, it's always good to uh, talk, talk, uh, talk technical. I love it. <laughs> and you can find links to MVG's YouTube channel in the description below, as well as a link to Digital Foundry in the description below as well. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.